This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Yeah, it's a Monday morning party right here on MPB Think Radio. This is the South Dining. Earl, how about a little music to get you going in the AM? Well, Mavis Staples always gets me going. And uh, Pop Staples, of a Staples singer from Wyona, Mississippi. That's right. And and received a Governor's Award probably about 2003 or four. I remember, uh, when Pops got the Governor's Award. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, we should make it uh, yeah, de rigueur for this this show to have a little Mavis Staples every now and then. Thank you, Java. That was great. So it's February, Carol. I don't know about you, but who saw it coming? Well, it was a long and cold January. (laughs) But I love January. I know I love January. A lot of staying in, a lot of fires, the old flannel nightgown, soup. Yep, and the coming of the the spring, which brings all things that bud and flower and rejoice at the end of the long, cold winter. Uh, today also is the beginning of Black History Month, and there are many notable culinary uh, tidbits we want to share with you. But before we get to that, Carol, you dropped off something mighty nice on my front doorstep last night while I was down in the basement. Um, you dropped off a copy of the Northside Sun magazine. I did indeed. It came out, I guess, over the weekend, and there is a wonderful article by Sherry Lucas about cooking and coping, our Facebook site. Really did a fine job. What would you think? Yeah, it was great, and they used uh, uh, one of the photos from our shoot that we did for the cover of uh, MPB's uh, magazine. What's it called, Java? What do you call the magazine? Fine-tuning. Fine-tuning, yes, which we were on the cover a few months back, and here we are in the Northside Sun. And on the cover of this is my friend Maddie Miller, so that's that's kind of fun. That's a, a beautiful thing, but it, w- it was so interesting to, to see somebody write about cooking and coping from the outside, because, you know, we're in, we're in it and living it every day, and it was... It was fun for me to reminisce how excited we were when we hit 200 people. Yeah, we just thought that. that was that was huge, and now we're at 3,300 in something. And just to remind our listeners, uh, this is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio, but we also have a Facebook page that we call Cooking and Coping. And uh, there was a nice article written in uh, the Northside Sun magazine, uh, I guess this month, uh, about not only our show, our radio show, which you're listening to and that you are a part of, if you are a listener, but also about the Facebook page, which just exploded uh, during COVID-19 with people forming a community around sharing recipes, sharing cooking tidbits, sharing gear, and just talking generally about what it's like to be at home. Uh, and, and one of our favorite things to do uh, in isolation and quarantine was to go in the kitchen and start cooking. And I have to credit Leanne Galt, our good buddy, with a lot of the success because Leanne actually designed the page and posted it and, you know, put it out to all her friends. And she probably is the, 
yeah, number one queen of cooking and coping. So many people are inspired by what Leanne does. And truly, cooking is her way of coping, as, you know, as she says. She plans her menu on Sundays and grocery shops and then, you know, just does a, a wonderful job. But did, did you see some of those statistics about our I did. show? Yeah, I, well, I didn't know anything much about it, but those aren't things. I know, I they don't share they were awesome. stuff with us. Yeah, uh, our podcast has been downloaded 43,000 times in the past year. Java, That's a whole lot of podcasts that. going Yeah. On. Java, you've been keeping that promise. Well, you know, we don't want you to um, get the get the big head. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the last four months of 2020, the podcast audience grew by almost 50 percent each week. So there you go. So again, to our listeners, not only uh, do Carol and I have this Monday morning show, which we would be nothing without Java Chapman, just as cooking and coping, we would be nothing without Leanne Galt. But not only do we have this radio show, which you're listening to, but we have the Facebook page that we're referencing here that was highlighted in the Northside Magazine, Northside Sun Magazine, but also the podcast. And Java, tell our listeners about that third component, about how they can uh, become a part of the podcast world. Well, the podcast is um, basically uh, a re packaging, if you would uh, say, of the show um, every Monday. And it's posted um, later on, like today's show will be posted later on this afternoon. And if you subscribe, which is really easy using any podcasting app, um, if you have an iPhone, you already have a, a podcasting app built into your phone. You can search Deep South Dining, hit the subscribe button. And every time the show is posted, Usually with a recipe that we talk about during the show, um, you can have that uh, for as long as you want. You can download it and listen to it whenever you want. Or um, another way to get it is download the MPB public media app and you will have the Deep South Dining podcast. Like I say, as soon as it posts and you can listen to it as many times as you want over and over and over. Beautiful. So, Carol, you know, being February here, it, it it is often said that New Year's resolutions only last about 30 or 32 days. But here it is, February the 1st, and let's revisit, while we have a second here, your New Year's resolutions, and I will try to update you on mine. Yeah, well, I was very challenged uh, by the fact that Java told us that the average was only 32 days. And so, Java... I really took that to heart, and, you know, I did dry January, which was a pretty big deal for me, not having wine with my nightly. I was going to ask, did you not take a shower in, uh, in the month? Uh, no, this was imbibing oh, okay. January, and, you know, I it was... It was it was a journey, and Malcolm, you would you would just be really proud. I, I think I made it all the way. I mean, there is one technicality, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I would ask you if this if this counted. But I received by Federal Express a package from one of our listeners, cooking and coping members and friends, Miss Peggy Sprayberry. From uh, Pass Christian, Mississippi. Former board and, member of the Mississippi yes, Commission. And so, a fine one, I might add. Yes. 
and chair of the Mississippi Arts Commission, but inside was a cake. When I opened the box, I could smell it. It was soaked in alcohol. I mean, soaked in alcohol, and I think I might have, you know, taken (laughs) tipsy just from the smell. But, uh, I mean, I just couldn't stop eating that cake. So what do you think? Does that count, or will you give me a pass? Well, I'm going to exempt that uh, because you gave it a great effort and you really focused on, you know, self-improvement and trying to do something uh, good for yourself. But I'll say this about alcohol and food. Most of the time when we cook with alcohol, we cook over heat and and the alcoholic content evaporates uh, and, and the flavor remains. But usually on a cake, uh, when you pour the alcohol directly onto the cake, it does not evaporate because it is not cooked off. But I'm going to give you a buy on this and congratulate you on uh, uh, achieving your goal. Thank you, Malcolm. I think eating alcohol is a bit different from drinking alcohol. So thank you very much. And how about you? Well, you know, mine was to eat more of the things that I grow. So since it's been winter, uh, the entire time uh, that I have, uh, since I made that resolution, uh, I haven't been able to grow anything, but I have been doing what gardeners do, uh, which is preparing the soil, preparing the beds, preparing my seeds and getting my head wrapped around what am I going to plant this spring. Uh, And I do have a very small fall garden with greens, lettuces and kale and whatnot, but it, it's a little small project that my granddaughter, Ren and I uh, set up. So I've been, she and I both have been cutting uh, lettuce from that and greens from that and mixing it in with uh, salads that we eat and dishes that we cook. Well, I'm proud of you too. But you know, one, one thing that's so great about January is the day after Christmas, the seed catalogs start coming in the mail. Uh-huh. And that's a great January pastime. So I look forward to seeing what you're going to do. You would know that as the previous owner of the Everyday Gardener in Jackson. Well, surprise to you, I am still the 50% owner of the oh. Everyday Gardener. Well, and I can tell you that it's Oh, do we get a discount, way. Java? Do we get yeah. a discount? <laughs> you know, we don't even get family discounts, so <laughs> you two are out of luck. But oh, I'll just have to say it's the most wonderful thing, a way to have a retail store. As you know, I had the Everyday Gourmet for 30 years and worked nearly seven days a week. And this way, I can enjoy, you know, going in the shop and buying things and seeing all the wonderful work because my sister-in-law, Susie Puckett, who is the other 50% owner and really the genius behind it, does a wonderful job. I couldn't even visualize or imagine the things that she has done. It's, it's a wonderful store. And it's in Fondering, uh, the neighborhood of Fondering. And what do you call the little shopping center that it's in? I don't know. Well, it's changed. I, I believe it's, it's called Fondering Corner. Fondering Corner? Something, something like know. that. But this anyway, it's old gas station. It was an old a gas station. 1940s gas station with a big glass round window. And back in the 40s and 50s, they would feature a car. It was a little showroom for one car. So when you uh-huh. went to get your gas, you could, you know, walk uh-huh. around and pick some tires. 
All right, again, this is the beginning of Black History Month, and I'd like to, uh, Carol and I would like to highlight a few uh, African-American heroes uh, of the culinary world. First, James Hemings was once a slave of Thomas Jefferson's who became the first American to train as a chef in France, introduced European-style macaroni and cheese, which is Java's favorite, French fries, creme brulee, and ice cream to America. Yeah, a big shout out to James Hemings, and that brings up the point that uh, many people think that African-American cooking in the early part of the country, uh, you know, was a very uh, simple type of cooking. But really, the African-American chefs in these kitchens were very refined cooks, and many of them, like James Hemings, were trained under European chefs, so all over the country there were African-Americans in the kitchen doing you know, very refined cooking. Right. And uh, let me mention Zephyr Wright, who was the personal chef of Lyndon Johnson. And he is created with in influencing Johnson's signing of the Civil Rights Act by telling him her firsthand stories of discrimination. So Zephyr uh, was female, right? Zephyr Wright? Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. But chef for, for Lyndon Johnson going back to 1942, as I understand. Yep, yep, yep. Next is Abby Fisher, one of the first uh, black cookbook authors. Born a slave in 1832, she made her way to San Francisco after the Civil War and opened a preserve business, Carol. She was encouraged to publish her cookbook, and, be, and that be, was because she was unable to write and read at that time. She ended up carefully describing her recipes to writers who assembled them into the book, What Miss Fisher Knows About Old Southern Cooking. And it was published in 1881. And I am going to go looking for that book. And I believe, Java, you've posted um, an online copy to our to our site. Yeah, we're gonna post we're gonna post a um a copy of that or a link to a copy of that book. Um because it's interesting. I mean it was published in what eighteen in the eighteen hundreds, so um the copyright has long since passed. <laughs> but um it's it's interesting just to look at a, a cookbook from that long ago. And one of the craziest, um, uh, I saw one of the craziest, or I guess I'll say most interesting recipes was for uh, cattle head, I think it was cattle head soup. And it was, an, oh, oh. yes, an actual recipe in the book. So, <laughs> Yeah, wow. thanks, thanks, Java. I think it's so important for us to keep, keep those historical documents, you know, where, where we can access them. So, Malcolm, I'll be right behind you looking that up. And then we have to mention Edna Lewis, who is my favorite of all times, African-American cooks of our generation. And she is pretty much single-handedly credited with reintroducing the idea of refined African-American cooking. And in 1972, when the Edna Lewis cookbook came out, she won the James Beard Award for Best Cookbook, and she has just become an icon. Now, the, the book that she did with Scott Peacock, a chef that I would love to have on the program job, in fact, during this month, uh, he and Miss Lewis did The Gift of Southern Cooking, 
another award-winning cookbook and, and just one of the best cookbooks of the past 15 years. But when Miss Lewis began to have Alzheimer's, Scott Peacock actually brought her to live with him, and she lived out the rest of her life with Chef Peacock. Um, so shout out to Edna Lewis. And I will mention one that I mention uh, all the time, and that is Jesse's book of Creole and Deep South recipes written by Jesse Willis Lewis, born 1895, died in 1983, um, and was a Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, chef. Uh, but this book uh, is out of print, but I did find a copy of it recently. I had Lemuria help me find a copy, but this is a Mississippi edition of 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 a great historic African-American cookbook. And Malcolm, I have two of my favorite cookbooks you gave me, and they were cookbooks by one another one of our favorites, Leah Chase, who oh my gosh. passed away in, in the past couple of years. But you bought them for me at a used bookstore a while back, and they are, they are treasures. Yeah, Miss Leah was something, man. And uh, But we owe a, a great... Uh, debt of gratitude to these early pioneers, these African-American cooks who here in the South taught us most everything we know about cooking, or at least that's my opinion. And so we are grateful here on, at the beginning of Black History Month to give a shout out to all of the great African-American cooks uh, and the culinary pioneers uh, of that period. All right. Should we take a break here, Java? Let's do it. When we come back, we're going to talk about Super Bowl and all of the great eating that goes on around the game. Uh, we'll even offer a few healthy alternatives if you're interested. So stay tuned. Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Arts Commission, reminding you to tune in for the Arts Hour. We have in-depth conversations with Mississippi artists, writers, musicians, and other creatives. The Mississippi Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 on MPB Radio or download it as a podcast. Well, they called me sweetness and I like to dance. Running the ball is like making more mans. We had the Welcome to Deep South Dining and Chicago, Super Bowl, Super Bowl is just around the corner. And it is a big time eating occasion. And it is considered beyond Thanksgiving and Christmas to be the largest uh, eating event that goes on in our culture. It is even considered to be a food holiday that many sports fans, of course, live for every year. Carol, what do you know well, about Before we get into food, I need to ask Java about that music. I want to know who did it. I heard him talking about sweetness. And that is Walter Payton. They that mentioned is Swiss the one, and the Chicago. one and only. So who is that by? Tell us about it. Yeah, that was the Super Bowl shuffle um, from, I believe, the 1984 uh, Chicago Bears, the year I was born. It was a pretty good year. Um, and they were, you know, going to the Super Bowl. And I, I, I think it's the only time somebody made a song. And it was like a hit song about going to the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl shuffle. It's just a classic. And that was uh, Sweetness, uh, Jackson State University um, alum and the greatest running back ever in the history of football. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So was that the team that the refrigerator, the fridge played on? He was on the team, yes. That was a, yeah. that was a, a stacked team. It was a, a historic yeah, team. 
Refrigerator Perry. He at the time he was like three hundred and eighty pounds or something, and they called him the refrigerator because all he had to do was stand there, like like a refrigerator. Well, now you know on a food show, Deep South Dining, <laughs> that we're going to pay homage to the refrigerator as, yeah. as a great as, as a sports icon. Yeah, and he ate a refrigerator full of food every day <laughs> to keep him going. And it um, that same team uh, included Tyrone Keys from uh, yep. Callaway Callaway High School. So yeah. that all these Mississippi ties for um, a Super Bowl shuffle. All right. Well, the other thing that we know about the Super Bowl and the culinary uh, surroundings, it is often said the cheesier, the saucier, the deeper, the fried, the better. How about that, Carol? I think that that's a pretty good saying. Um, so what is your favorite Super Bowl food? I hope I hope that you're one of the 1.4 billion that you're going to eat some of the 1.4 billion chicken wings that are consumed this Sunday. Now, my job is to talk about the food on Super yeah. Bowl Sunday. Uh, frankly, I do not do gatherings for Super Bowl and haven't in many years. And, of course, particularly in COVID-19, uh, I'm not going to uh, be involved in any sort of uh, gathering. I will, of course, watch the Super Bowl. Very excited about that. Uh, but we'll not probably cook any wings, but I'll... I'll make some some snacks, uh, and and you know I may try something healthy like carrot sticks and hummus, or uh, maybe a little barbecued chicken or something. I don't know yet. I haven't really thought it out. I'm pretty much a chili on the Super Bowl person. Hmm. I like chili a lot. Yeah, I like to make a big pot of chili and then put out you know, bowls of all the different you know cheese, sour cream, olives, Fritos, all the things you can put on top. And even though it's the two of us, I plan on doing that. Well, I know you like statistics, so here's a couple for you. 57% of Americans who eat chicken wings say they like to dip those wings in ranch dressing. 35%, only 35%, dip in blue cheese. Now, if I were going to eat wings on Super Bowl Sunday, I would be dipping them into blue cheese. What about you? I would be dipping them into blue cheese as well. And, you know, I'm going to kind of take a little liberty here about chicken wings. But, Malcolm, do you remember the time that Snoop Dogg was coming to Helen Mouse on a Sunday night? And we were waiting and waiting for his bus. And he drove around Jackson for two hours looking for chicken wings. He wouldn't he wouldn't perform until he had his chicken wings. And I don't know if he liked blue uh, blue cheese or ranch, but he sure did love chicken wings. Yeah, I remember that. It was a big controversy about his arrival and those chicken wings. And he was coming up from Macomb where his auntie lived, and that's yeah. why he was in Mississippi. And I think what happened was he had a big fab family gathering down there, and he just didn't want to leave. But he finally did leave, and I think he got on stage about midnight. Yes, uh, and, he did. And he blamed it all on chicken wings. So yeah, I, don't... I think I think he finally found the chicken wings at Hooters. They drove the bus <laughs> up to Hooters and and got the chicken wings. But that that was a night to remember. I just got a text from our North Mississippi correspondent Chico Harris saying that. 
it was the 1985 Bears who were then the 1986 Super Bowl champs. And Chico says, I hate them. He's a Packers guy. Yeah, for, oh, the, for the Chicago Bears to win, the Packers had to lose. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I well, after chicken wings, pizza is the next most favorite game day food. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Over 12 million pizzas are sold on Super Bowl Sunday. How about that? That's great. I had a good pizza the other day. We had a chicken, a barbecued chicken pizza that was uh, quite good. And I don't normally even find anything interesting about barbecued pizza, but this thing was actually pretty darn good. Can you tell Java uh, and me where you got it? Fresh Market. All right. Thank you. Sure. Inquiring minds need to know. Yeah, pre-made. Kara brought it home, and I was skeptical. Uh, Told her I didn't really like barbecued chicken pizzas, but I ate uh, two-thirds of it in the end. Uh, So there you go. Even... Even we don't know what we like sometimes because <laughs> we think we don't like something and we don't try it. And it's called prejudice. And we've got to open up our minds to new things. We've got to eat new foods and think about new ideas and meet new people and be open-minded. Okay, for calorie counters like me, here's a good thing. Ding, 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 ding. 2,400 calories are consumed by the average game watcher just during the game. That's in three hours. That is a lot of food. That is a lot more than your daily, uh, a lot more than your daily allotment. And speaking of Super Bowl gatherings, I think it's interesting to note here that the county of Los Angeles, Los Angeles, California, has just allowed, starting two days ago, outdoor dining and restaurants, they have been locked down for longer than most places have, but they've just reestablished outdoor dining. But there is a caveat by the mayor and the, and, and the council that runs Los Angeles and Los Angeles County, that in these outdoor restaurant dining areas, there can be no televisions. And do we know why they won't allow televisions? Because they oh want gosh. no public Super Bowl parties in restaurants and bars. Oh, my goodness. Some now people I, aren't happy about that. Well, I don't think I would be very happy. I thought it was his restaurant owners that they didn't want you staying that long. They wanted to turn tables. But no, they don't want oh, you to no, turn no. into a party. Yeah, it, it's a health thing. Now, here's a, a somewhat healthy statistics statistic, and that is that 139 million pounds of avocados are consumed on Sunday of Super Bowl, can you say, dip? Guacamole. Guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm going to make some of that. I'm going to have a few of those millions. I love the good guacamole, and I love avocados, period. I do, too. And they're so good this time of year. Oh, my Uh, gosh. Hey, Java, tell us a couple of healthy snacks for Super Bowl, because you've been our health guy lately. Well, I I, I have to... (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I keep that to myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, I w- one thing that we have been talking about is uh, the cauliflower switch. And I will, I mean, do it for Super Bowl just as a thing. You can have your regular chicken wings on the side like you already know you got them and you're good to go. But if you can, I, I will just implore anybody to try the cauliflower. You you deep fry them you, or, or oven or oven fry them. Dip them in your favorite sauce, barbecue, um, uh, buffalo, put some sweet heat on it, and just try it and see, won't that become a new a new favorite snack? And then if you have some time, you can take your carrots and uh, make those carrot hot dogs. You have to kind of marinate them and get them really soft. Uh, you can put them on the grill for a little bit, but take that, put some slaw on top of it, sauce it up, and a bun and you will have a nice healthy it will cut down on some of that 2000 calorie snack uh snacking you're gonna do during the game but it's a good alternative you heard it here and and regarding the cauliflower and the carrot don't forget that before you cook them you season them like you would season meat exactly. for the grill you season exactly. the cauliflower and you season the carrots and and then when you cook them and dip them uh, you know, they take on the flavor that your brain is ordinarily accustomed to around a chicken wing or a hot dog. So exactly don't forget right. to season them well with the, whatever seasoning you like. Also, uh, baked sweet potato chips are great. You can slice sweet potatoes very thin, toss them in some olive oil and season them well and pop them in the oven and bake them till they are crunchy and crisp. And that'll save you a few calories. Yeah, we're already backing off that 2400. I I like this. Yeah. All right. Okay, so we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk to Chef Godfrey Morgan. Chef Morgan is Jamaican-born, and he blends his Caribbean roots with Southern-style cooking for one-of-a-kind dishes at his restaurant on Terry Road called Godfrey's. Chat with him about his passion for food and food art. He is a great carver and so stay tuned for Chef Dr. Morgan. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org or on your smart devices podcasting platform. Welcome back to no. South Dining. Bill Bucket, Malcolm, Mike, Java, Chapman. We are listening to a bit of uh, island music for a particular reason. Carol, can you tell us why we have dipped from the Super Bowl to Shuffle. Jamaica? Yes, because we are welcoming Chef Godfrey Morgan, who is from what Rios Ochos, Jamaica. Ocho Rios, Jamaica. Yes. Ocho Rios, Jamaica. Okay, who is the former executive chef at Jackson State University, and now owner of Godfrey's Caribbean Restaurant. And Godfrey's was the 2020 winner of, uh, well, Chef Godfrey of the Best New Chef and Best Caterer Award from the Jackson Free Press. And that is the People's Award. You were voted on by the people. So, welcome. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on the show. 
Now, Chef, were you at Heinz before you were at Jackson State? No, I went to Heinz coming to college, though. We're, we're talking about, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> about 17 years ago, um, close to 17 or 18 years ago. And, so, and you went uh, to the culinary program? Yes, I did a, a two years um, program there. Uh, that's when uh, I just got to this country. And I uh, leave from there to the uh, working into I work at Bravo and Bruno's. For uh, we, we still miss Bruno's eclectic cuisine. Oh and um, I was wondering guy. if Kathleen Bruno may have been one of your instructors at Heinz. You know, then I don't think she was there uh, at that point. I think it's after I leave them. Um, I think she. She was at a school there. So did your culinary journey start in your childhood in Jamaica, or was it when you came uh, to America and decided to enroll in culinary school? For me, my culinary journey starts with my grandmother in the kitchen cooking up a storm, you know, smelling that great <laughs> Caribbean cooking with all the fresh spices and herbs. Uh, to me, that's where it started from, you know. Um, I think that's where I didn't make up my mind then, but I didn't realize to say, you know what? I want to be a chef one day. <laughs> and uh, look at me here now, um, 42 years later. <laughs> well, how did you end up in Mississippi, uh, of all the places in the United States of America that you could have come to? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> um, well, school year, of course, and um, my... I was uh, engaged at the time, and uh, she was from here. There's um, always a woman. Always, <laughs> uh, these women from the South. <laughs> and um, she was a professor at Jackson State, and um, uh, we uh, met uh, in the island. Uh, um, and that, the rest was history. The rest is <laughs> history. Well, it's been a good thing for all of us. So, where did Jackson State fit in all of this? Well, you know, um, while I was working at Bruva, Bruno Bravos and going to school at the same time, <laughs> I, I was doing a little catering on the side. And um, Jackson State was one of the, I used to do a little catering for President Mason. He was the yeah, president. Yeah, Ron Mason. What a great guy. Yes. <laughs> so I used to do some small things for him and his wife. Um, after I leave there, I, I I opened up a restaurant downtown called Godfrey's Takeaway. Um, makes selling meat pies and po' boys and just some, you know, uh, fast food, but it's not. Um, um, I think I was too young at the moment for deal with all of the pressure and the experience that come in with running a restaurant. So the restaurant was open for about um, one and a half years, close to two years. Then I closed it and moved to um, Memphis. Uh, they were looking for a executive sous chef at the Grand Casino at the time. And I applied for the job and I got the job. So about two years and some months have passed by and uh, I realize I'm, I'm ready to come back to 
um, Jackson, Mississippi. I uh, applied for a few jobs here, but nothing was available at the time. And I applied for a job in Vicksburg. And that's when the casino was um, Isla Capri and then Diamond Jack Casino bought Isla Capri. And they were looking for an executive chef. And I uh, interviewed for it to apply, and uh, I got the job. I was doing very well there until um, Troy Stovall. He was at Jackson State. I think he was the, the person who controlled the money part at Jackson State. It's a call, so they're looking for your first executive chef. And I was like, wow. I think about it for a while. I was, you know, I was loving the casino where it was, but I was like, wow, closer to home, it would be like a five minutes ride from Jackson State to my home. I'm like, wow. So I did the paperwork, and next thing you know, I'm at Jackson State. <laughs> There's a 10, well, 11 years have passed by, and here I am. <laughs> so are you still at Jackson State? Oh, no. In 2018, August 2018, I decide to, um, you know what, I want to do something again for myself. Um, go about it to open up my business again. I think I did, I'm, I'm back with more experience. I'm more seasoned. And so I decide to leave Jackson State, uh, give like a month notice, and um, I start to do a little catering from home. And I didn't realize so many people out there love what I do. And that was very successful. And in 2019, I got the spot here in South Jackson. And uh, I just decided to do catering out this location and serve plate lunch two times a week. That just lasts for about a week. <laughs> so I decided to get a few tables. I start off with about four tables and um, just seating about eight people. Now we are able to seat over a hundred people. Uh, you know, thanks be to God. And um, this is us today. You know. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me that you do Caribbean, Asian, and Southern cooking. I mean, that is true fusion cooking. Talk well, to us a little bit about that. <laughs> it's, you know, I use it as my playground. Uh, basically, everything that I love, I just, you know what? Let's put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Asian food. I love American food. And, of course, my heart belongs to the Caribbean. So why not merge? Merge it all together and boom, look at it up to today. You know, it's like, for example, um, the, the, the sticky ribs. We do the jerk ribs and then we simmer it into like an Asian sticky sauce. So it's like a, <laughs> a fusion together. Even the jerk chicken spring rolls. Ah, where are you going to hear that from? <laughs> so, you know, so it's, it's just me like a, like a kid playing around with recipes and just, you know, enjoying what I do every single day. Well, I, I would call your restaurant a word of mouth or a destination restaurant. You don't do a lot of advertising, but the biggest advertising are the hundreds and hundreds of customers who spread the word. Uh, 
you're a lucky man. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But you know, the thing is, word of mouth is the biggest advertisement here is. Because um, if you are consistently serving good food, good quality food, this two person go and tell four person, that four person go and tell eight person, that eight person go and tell 16 person, it travels. And once you're consistent with what you do, your crowd is going to keep coming and your regular is going to keep coming because your food is, you know, the same. And so definitely thankful for that, you know. Right. Well, it is said that the same tool that we use to eat can also build your business. Uh, we, by people going and telling other people about how good the food is. I wonder if you would talk a little bit about uh, Caribbean food and for our listeners who may not be familiar with traditional Caribbean cooking, like what, as a child growing up in your family, what, what were some of the components uh, of your traditional Jamaican uh, plate and table? For us, it's all about the fresh spice, herbs, meat. Um, it's all about the freshness. You know, I remember as a boy going outside, um, um, clipping some fresh thyme, picking some peppers off the tree, um, getting coconut, reducing it, making my own oil. So, you know, it's all about the freshness and um, just the way we combine it together to produce our flavor. You know, um, it's not really um, a, I don't want to say a science or something special to it. It's just, it's all about the freshness of the herbs and spice that mm -hmm. use all the stuff them because originally Caribbean food is come from Africa and it when the, they come from Africa we'd have to find stuff that is native to the island that we could use for food and at the same time so that African cooking with uh, with what we have there in the island to create what we call Caribbean cuisine right now. You know, uh, cooking jerk chicken, you know, it was the, the scotch bonnet pepper and all the local spices and we do it, do it on the grill, you know, open fire because it, it's, it's coming from then and it just translate it. Now it's like it's, it take on its own meaning. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's the thing about it. It's it's originated there in Africa. It's just like soul cooking here with greens and uh, <laughs> some of the stuff than what we eat here. All of it translates from there, and then we just to make it work for us here in the United States or the Caribbean. Now your restaurant's on Terry Road, right? Yes, it's on Terry Road, twenty four sixty Terry Road. Was there, was there a former uh, restaurant in the location, or is it a location that you, you've created the first restaurant in it? No, actually, there was a restaurant here called J-Dubs. Mm -hmm. uh, J-Dubs, I think they serve like um, also like fast food, uh, burgers and fish, and, you know, so they, I think they moved to somewhere else, and um, um, really and truly, I was supposed to get a smaller spot around uh, the side of the building and I remember I was at um, Waterview Casino which that was Diamondjack Casino doing a uh, I was doing their New Year's Eve 
decoration, carving melons and just setting up for them. And I get a call to, and they said, hey, chef, we have another space available. Would you like to look at it? And I said, sure. After a finished event, I came by here and I look at it and I said, um, it's quite bigger. I'm uh, not sure if I could afford this at the time. <laughs> they, they work with me pretty well. And um, next thing you know, I was decorating the space <laughs> for the future Godfrey's. Man. Well, I love it that they refer to it, people refer to it as, you know, an island in South Jackson. And I've heard it called Godfrey-topia. It's its own <laughs> island that, that you go to. <laughs> you, you know, for me, I'm very, um, I love fish and I love the island. Uh, so uh, I think a part of me have a little decoration inside of me. So, <laughs> so when I start to decorate, you know, it seemed like I go a little bit overboard. I have um, fish everywhere. Uh, <laughs> fish tank over here, fish tank over here, uh, waterfall over here, trees over here. So <laughs> it's like an <laughs> built there because my vision was you you step out of South Jack and you step into the restaurant and it's like, wow, I'm not in South Jackson no more. <laughs> right. There's something different, you know, good atmosphere, you have the relaxing music, good scenery, and to finish it off, great food. Well, what is your most popular dish at the restaurant? Oh my gosh, um, it, it's such it's so crazy for me to say because everything on the menu is created by me. You know, all the recipes and everything. So, as far as for popular dishes, it's a few of them quite well. You know, from the jerk chicken, the curry chicken, the curry goat, the oxtail, especially. Um, sticky ribs, spring rolls, every group of people have their favorites. So it's not like they said, okay, this is the main seller. Of course, if we're going to go there, they said, okay, between jerk chicken and oxtail, they're competing against each other every single day, you know? <laughs> so. Well, Chef, uh, how has COVID-19 uh, impacted your business? Uh, did it, has it changed what you do or are you rolling right along pretty well? It changed a little bit of how we, um, how we, how the restaurant is um, situated every day. When uh, COVID just gets started and realize, you know, this is actually very serious, and we'd have to close the restaurant um, for for a short time. I was like, wow, I was very concerned. I didn't know what was the future of the restaurant, or, you know. What's going to happen? So I said, okay, let's start to do curbside. And uh, I didn't know how that was going to work out. And people never stopped coming. People still could, the phone still ringing, everybody come getting their food to go. And it carried a restaurant through COVID. And I got to say, you know, Jackson, I've definitely, and the surrounding area, I've definitely um, keep the restaurant where it needs to be at right now. Very thankful. Well, we have a few minutes left. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your fruit carving and you're, you're well known for, for your carvings. And I guess that's part of the success of your catering. Did you learn that um, as a child or is that something you grew up with or was that something that you picked up at Heinz Culinary? 
No, actually, um, I was working at this five-star resort in Jamaica, Beaches Grand Sport. And they do yearly competition. We compete against um, the neighbor islands, you know, um, Trinidad and just the islands around us in Jamaica. And I was 19 years old. And you'd have a culinary team there. And my love for food, I didn't want to get on a team so bad. And I remember my executive chef, he, he, he cut a piece of pumpkin and said, I want you to carve this pumpkin and make it look like a full real pumpkin. Just make it, you know, like a pumpkin that's not cut. So I was supposed right. to carve it out. And um, I was like, okay. So he was testing me and um, I get a small knife and start to practice. I cut myself a few times well, and but it was almost looking like a pumpkin. <laughs> and he, he, he decided to give me a little uh, trial run and uh, with a lot of training. And next thing you know, I'm watching the guys and the professional carving in the kitchen, they're carving just different here in the restaurant and I, I just practice. I take picture, look at your stuff, just keep practicing until I get it right. So basically, I, I teach myself how to do it. Well, Chef, we appreciate you joining us today. We want to encourage all of our listeners to go out to the 2000 block of Terry Road and check out Godfrey's uh, Dine-In or Curb Service. Uh, I understand you've done a magnificent job with your curb service pickup uh, at the restaurant. So continued success to you, sir, and thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is artfully produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, and our guest, Chef Godfrey Morgan, I'm Malcolm White. Stay tuned now for Now You're Talking with the one and only Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11 a.m. And again, join us every Monday right here for Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio.